Hey, my name's Greg. Thanks for coming out today. This is Matt. He's one of the pastors here as well, and uh, we are going to chat with you today about sex. And we're hoping that you leave here uh, with maybe some knowledge uh, from the Bible concerning this subject that you didn't know before you came. Really, we're trying to help you form a theology of sex. We're not going to get into a lot of the details around practice of sex, more the theology of sex. Um, And I think it'll be clarifying for you. At least that's that's what we hope. Um, a, A few months ago, not all that long ago, I, as a parent, I have three kids, I stumbled across something that I knew was coming one day, but I didn't necessarily want it ever to happen. And if you're a parent, you can probably relate with that emotion on a lot of areas as it relates to parenting kids. But this area in particular was my kids, like a lot of yours, are very spoiled. And they have access to computers and iPads and iTouches and honestly about anything Apple sells, they have access to. And um, in my normal routine of parenting, I try to make it a habit, as you should, uh, to check up on what they're looking at on the internet and to see what they're doing on their social media and that sort of stuff. And uh, like probably some of you have who have kids who have gone before mine, uh, I found some stuff that my, uh, one of my boys was looking at that I wasn't all that thrilled that he was looking at, yet at the same time I knew that was part of growing up, or at least that was going to be part of growing up in this day and age where access to images and things that are related to sex is much easier uh, to come by than it was necessarily when I was growing up. And so I knew I had a talk that I had to have uh, with, with my son. Uh, I'd already had like the initial talk that you have when they're young that you should have by the time they're in third grade or so, maybe fourth at the latest, generally explaining you know what it's all about and what's going on. But I knew I had to have the, the next level conversation. And I was at a crossroads, like many of you have been, as you deal with your kids, or maybe in your own life you come to, where you know that moving forward, things aren't going to be the same as they were prior to that moment. I knew that we were going to take a step forward uh, in our understanding and our communication, our relationship as a father and a son, or we were going to take a step backwards. And I knew that it was, as Pastor Ben would say, he uses this phrase a lot, it was was a pregnant moment. excuse the pun, uh, that, that I was facing here with, with my son. And a conversation was going to happen. And I wanted to make sure as I geared up for that conversation that he walked away with the right one or two things to understand about sex. I didn't want him to walk away with necessarily the do's and don'ts as it relates to sexuality from a Christian perspective and all the things that you might expect that you want your kids to get. You want them to wait before they engage in, you know, sexual activity, and you want them to understand how important and precious it is. I wanted to make sure I got the one or two things right in my conversation with him. And as I think back to my time in life when I was younger, like he was, and curious about a lot of things and wondering what in the world was going on with, with sex and my body and how much I wanted it, I wanted to give him a gift that I wasn't given. Not that my parents did a bad job. I just don't think maybe they had thought through it as much as I had. I wanted him to get the core of the core, to really understand something about sex and how precious and special it is that might help him make better decisions as opposed to giving him all the rules and regulations that I wanted to impose on him that I really want him to live out. I wanted him to get it in a way that I didn't when I was younger, in a way I didn't really until I was a lot older. Because I wanted him to escape 
the damage that can come from a misunderstanding or a misplaced expectation around sex. And so Matt and I today want to share with you some of the things I shared with my son, not because you're kids, but because it's, it's a deeper understanding of sex that comes straight from God's word that hopefully will bring clarity. And instead of giving you the rules and regulations that you might be expecting in a talk from sex from a church, we want you to just kind of get it. Yeah, you know, in the middle of a series called Blurred Lines, trying to bring some clarity from God's word around sex, dating, relationships, and marriage. Um, if you've been to some churches, you might expect us to give you a list of things that you're not supposed to do, a very long list of not supposed to do's, and a very short list of to-do's. Um, that legalistic perspective of what exactly can I do, where's the line that defines sin, and how far can I go up to it before I'm in sin, and, and all those kinds of things. Um, some of you may have been to other churches where you've heard some talks about sex that have been a little skewed. I remember when I was in college, I actually heard a pastor from stage talking about sex tell his audience what positions were okay and what positions were wow. sin. Um, we're not going to do that for you today. It would have been an interesting talk to hear, though. Yes, it would have yeah. been. <laughs> um, we don't want to define sex in those terms. We want to get a little bit further into the Bible and define sex as God really defines sex. So the goal today isn't so much to give you a list of do's or don'ts. We want to give you some guidelines around what the Bible says sex is and why it's so important. We really want to help you develop a true theology of sex, understanding Scripture's perspective and how you can apply that and live that out in your life. You know, sex in the Bible is a really big deal. Um, it's a different category than a lot of other things that we look at when we look at Scripture. We're going to look at a, a verse from Paul a little bit later on when he talks about sexual sin. And Paul actually says that sexual sin is different because it's actually sin against your own body. And so this idea of sexuality um, go, when it does goes well and then sexuality gone wrong um, has some major effects on life. And when it's this idea of sin against your own body, there's some consequences that this sin in particular can bear that's different. It's a little more personal. It, it affects us individually, whereas a lot of our other sins tend to affect the world around us a little bit more. So it is definitely a challenge. And we want to help you gain a high perspective of sex because we think that as we trace it through the Bible that God's perspective of sex is very high. And then at the end, I want to take a little bit of time. We'll talk through what it looks like when we've clearly messed up what God's plan is for sex in our lives and how we can kind of recover from that and move forward through that process. Yeah, and you know, from a, from a Christian perspective, there is a bit of a tension here, I think, because um, I think if, you, if you're normal and things are going well and you're healthy, there's a, there is an appetite from sex that is a God-given appetite. Yeah. We, you, you should want sex. You should want to engage in intimacy with, with um, someone that you love. Yeah. I mean... And yet, from the Christian perspective, there, there is and always has been and still continue to be a lot of rules around the right way to engage sex, sexuality. I mean, yeah. and we, we live in that tension because the world all around us, and I don't have to give you the, the examples of it. You know this to be true. It, it increases our appetite all the time from the, the music we listen to to the movies we watch and the television shows we see and the images that pop up on Facebook and Instagram and all the social media, there's, there, the society or the culture we live in increases our appetite. And it's not really unique to us. I think we just have easier access to it in the day and age that we live in. But even back in Bible times when Jesus was around and even prior to him, there was, there was and always has been this human desire to really 
explore all things sexual and get as much pleasure out of it as we can. And yet the Christian perspective, again, is that there needs to be limits so that the full pleasure can be enjoyed. I mean, we're, we're supposed to, from a simple Christian understanding, wait for sex until we're married, and then it's one man and one woman for a lifetime. And that's the simple yeah. understanding from Genesis 2 all the way up through the epistles that Paul writes all throughout the Bible. That's the basic understanding of what healthy sexuality is. And yet we know that excludes a lot of things. And so there's a tension that we live in because we want more, and yet there's limits around it. And the appetite is so great that if you're normal, a high percentage of us engage sexuality in a way that's not the way God intended. We we compromise on what we know to be right, and we engage in activities we know to be wrong because we want the pleasure yeah. of sex. So this talks for you, honestly, if you are a student and you're in the room today and your parents decided to let you stay in here because you're probably not married yet, and yet you're st- thinking about already sex and how much you want to engage in it, and you might be in a boyfriend or girlfriend relationship already. This talk is also for you if you're sexually active and not marriage. We hope to shed some light on a truth from God's Word that runs from Genesis through Revelation that maybe you haven't heard of before. It applies to you if you're married and you came into your marriage with sexual baggage, or maybe you didn't come into it with sexual baggage, but there's been some drama created since you decided to get married around the idea of sexuality. If you have kids... I think this talk will be super beneficial for you. And if you're happily married, maybe this will just reinforce some things that you hoped were true, knew to be true. Your life experience has proven them to be true, and this might give you some wording around that. But also there's one more category of people who are probably in this room, if statistics are correct, where you have been a victim of sexual abuse. And I gave this talk, a similar talk to this one, in the first year of our existence as a church And what happened in that talk was something I didn't expect, and I want to highlight it now just as an anticipation of what will probably happen if you've been a victim of sexual abuse. I think this will bring clarity on some of the emotion that you felt because there is a truth in God's word that's explored that's usually missed in modern theology. You don't hear it in Sunday school that brings alive what we're trying to get to today. Yeah. So as we look at the Bible, two threads that we think are really clear as we look at the Bible and what it has to say about this theology of sex, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. The first is simply this, that sex is a good thing meant to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. Now, there's a lot of passages about sex and intimacy, relationships, but let me just give you a few. Uh, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says... These are the fun ones, by the way. These are. These are good. Anytime I get to say this on stage, it's a good day. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving doe, a graceful deer. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Proverbs is known as this book of wisdom, the things that wise people do. And so in the middle of that, it seems to be that wisdom is having good sex with your wife. Go over to the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul writes this. He says, The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman. Nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. So don't deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule would be an agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from intimacy for a limited time so that they can give themselves more completely to prayer. And afterward, they should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. This is my favorite set of verses in the Bible. 
Yeah. Yeah, those are good. <laughs> a lot of people miss that, that the Bible is so pro-sex. I mean, I think depending on how you grew up, there's this idea that maybe the Bible's against it, and it's always about the rules of what not to do. But it yeah. very much is pro-sex, and yeah. God wired us to want it, to desire it. He created the desire with, within us, and the Bible propagates the idea that we should want it, and it's good to engage in it. Yeah, you know, another example is the entire book of the Song of Songs. Some of you may know it as kind of the Song of Solomon. It's been called before. And it's really in the middle of your Bible, in the Old Testament, a book of erotic poetry about a couple's journey of sexual desire before and after marriage and what that looks like. And it's the tension of the desires that they have before they're married and, and then the understanding of the proper time that they can exhibit and, and, and act out on those desires. And you get to kind of read about what full enjoyment of sex looks like in the relationship between husband and wife. It, it seems clear as we look through Scripture, all the way from Genesis, in the very beginning when God creates Adam and Eve, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply, go have sex, have kids, uh, through Jesus and the Gospels, when he seems to reiterate the role of sex and marriage as a part of a healthy marriage, to Paul telling couples that I just read that they should have sex regularly as a way to keep themselves together and avoid temptation to stray out of their marriage. All the way to John, when he writes Revelation, talking about warnings of what sexual sin looks like and the consequences that it can have, not only in the life of an individual, but in the life of the church as well. So the point seems clear from Genesis to Revelation. Sex is good. And it's meant to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. I think the Bible is really clear about that. Yeah, so it's, it's for childbirth, for procreation. It's and for, recreation. And recreation. Yes. It's for uh, pleasure. I mean, and like you said, an entire book of the Bible dedicated towards kind of the erotic side yeah. of, of love and what that's all about. And the Bible explores those themes in that book and really a few other places. Yeah. It's also just for good relationship. I mean, it's that First Corinthians passage points out in, in a husband and wife relationship, it's a required element to engage in that so that Satan doesn't get a foothold and attack us because yeah. God knows we're going to have the desires, we're going to act on the desires, and if the regular routine of sex isn't part of your marriage, you're probably going to act in ways that God doesn't want you to. So it is clear in the Bible that, that sex is good and God wants us to partake in it. And you might have came today and, you're, and you already knew that. Yeah. The second thing we want to point out, though, is I think many of you are going to be the aha in, in the theology of sex. I'm going to start out with a passage in 1 Corinthians and read, read it to you and point out a couple of things. And what's going to happen is this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, but he's talking to them about some sexual issues they're going through as a congregation. He's heard about them. He's writing them a letter to address it, but he's going to reference back a passage from Genesis. He's going to quote it. And um, we're going to unpack both of those. So we're going to do a lot of Bible today because I want you to know that this isn't Matt and Greg's idea of sex and the theology of sex, and hopefully you buy into it. This is yeah. straight from God's Word. So we're going to unpack a few scriptures together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you have your Bible, we're going to start in verse 15. If you have an iPhone or something like that and want to follow along, you can do that as well. 1 Corinthians 6, here's what it says. Don't you know that your bodies are parts of Christ? So then, should I take parts of Christ... And make them part of someone who is sleeping around. No way. Make them part of someone who is sleeping around. That's interesting. Don't you know that anyone who is joined to someone who is sleeping around is one body with that person? Someone that you sleep with, you're joined to them and you're part of their body. The scripture says, and here's Paul quoting back to Genesis, the two 
will become one flesh. The one who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Avoid sexual immorality. Every sin that a person can do is committed outside the body, except those who engage in sexual immorality uh, commit sin against their own body. So there is something significant about the sexual immorality and sin related to sex. It really is different from other sins we might engage. Paul says that those sins, the other ones, are sins that we commit outside of our body, and sexual sin has impact inside of our bodies. Paul's pointing out a truth here that we're going to look at in Genesis, and again, unpack it just a little bit deeper, that there is a, a mysterious connection that happens when you engage in sex with someone else. There is a bond that happens that makes two people become one. Not just necessarily in God's eyes, but it's a mysterious thing. And like a lot of things in the Bible, we don't get to see fully exactly how scientifically that happens, but something's happening in the engagement of sexual intercourse so that when it happens, a unique, unique thing happens and, and souls are melded together, bodies are made into one. And that's why when sexual sin happens, there, there's more damage than damage that's associated with normal amounts of sin or normal yeah. types of sin. So let's go back and look in Genesis 2 and see what is the core of this theology and, I'm, and look at this together. This is the creation story when God has made everything and He's going to now look at the man and realize that the man needs a helpmate, is what the King James says. But he needs a partner, someone that can go through life with him. So here it is, Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. When there's a desire in us to not be by ourselves, to want a mate, a partner. Yeah. I will make a helper, God says, who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him, just right for Adam, the man. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man's, out of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is bone from my bone and flesh from, from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. And here, here's the verse that I think is the key to, the, to all things sexual as it relates from a biblical godly perspective. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to, the King James word there, if you grew up memorizing scripture, is cleaves to his wife. And the two are united into one. God gives us the same idea that Paul unpacks a little bit later, that when sexual intimacy happens, two souls become one. It's like they become one person. They become one flesh. The Hebrew here is devak, joined to. They, they, they're going to be glued to each other into not just two things that are still individual and have their unique identity, but they are a kad. They are Two things glued together to become one. They are a kad basar. They are one flesh. When you engage in sex with someone, it's not just that you're getting pleasure out of it, although hopefully you do. It's not just that you're having a moment with someone that has maybe some emotional ramifications later, whether they're good or bad. Yeah. But you're doing something mysterious and mystical where that 
Your body is becoming one with them. That has deep ramifications for all things after that moment in your life. After you give up a certain amount of your own identity and get glued to another person, after that, everything's different. And if that glue doesn't stay forever, that union doesn't stay forever, it means something. Mm -hmm. It means something. And that's why Paul says all the other sins are different. They're outside of your body. But sins around sexual immorality now, those things are important. They're big. They're different. There's something that, that happens inside of us. There's an internal thing that happens when we break God's rules around sex. And it's because... Our life has changed after we engage in sex. Yeah. There's a higher view. Souls are fused. And this isn't an Old Testament understanding. It's not just a Paul understanding. All throughout the Bible, even Jesus himself talks about this soul fusion that happens. So from the Old Testament to Paul and in between Jesus himself, this idea is just a reality that's all throughout Scripture that a lot of Christians miss. Yeah, this, this second pr- principle that we have here, this idea that sex creates a permanent bond, um, really seems to be traced through the, the, entire, the entire book of the Bible, through all of Scripture. And it seems to be such a, a common thread that it seems to be almost this understood idea that everybody has. And yet somehow in our modern theology, with the prevalence of sex that we have in our culture maybe, or the, the changes as we've read our Bibles over time, we've missed this over time. But it seems really clear. It's one of the few topics that I think there's such clarity on as you look all the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end that this consistent thread of, of this permanent bond of sex just makes sense through the entire passage. You know, Jesus highlights this specifically in Matthew 19. He highlights this idea of two souls being glued together. It's a common passage that you hear a lot, but rarely do we talk about this kind of perspective on this passage. Um, He says this, uh, this is Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him, and in order to test him, they said, does the law allow a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus answered, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And God said, because of this, a man should leave his father and mother and be joined together with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Jesus says, what are you missing here? In the very beginning, everything that you already know about what the Old Testament says, says husband and wives come together and the two become one. It says, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, humans must not pull apart what God has put together. And Jesus highlights this idea that when a man and a woman come together in the union of marriage, uh, this fusion happens. And it, it warns people that there's a price to pay if you take that thing apart. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting, you, you said this before you started that passage. That's the point Jesus is trying to get to when he talks about divorce. He's asked about divorce from the Pharisees, and he's trying to make them understand, look, you're asking me about a divorce, and the context in which you're asking me is because Moses had said it was okay, and here are the ways it's okay. Yeah. And yet you're missing the point. It isn't about whether the marriage is still happening or not. It's because once the sexual intercourse happened, two became one. And so divorce is a huge deal now. You can't just separate. You can't just pull asunder, like we say in all the marriages that we perform, all the ceremonies. You can't just pull that apart without there being some ramifications. There is a deeper truth here that Jesus is trying to point to. This isn't about a certificate of marriage. This is about souls that were glued together that are now pulled apart. And we're, we're not giving a message today on divorce, but if you've been divorced, you know the pain and the agony. 
that you went through in the divorce. You might have wanted it. There might have been good reason for it. You might should have gotten one. This isn't a message to say you shouldn't have and you need to go back and fix that. But you know the pain of that. And part of the pain that you experience is just what we're talking about. Your soul was separated. And it's mysterious and it's not scientific. It's a little mystical. And yet you know it happened. Yeah. It's a big deal. You know, every time there's a fusion and then a separation, it's almost like this idea of a scab being ripped off. Or if you have a wound and you put a Band-Aid on it, and over time you take the Band-Aid off, and the scab or a little bit of your flesh gets attached to the Band-Aid and comes off. And so over time, if you engage in sexual activity outside of a marriage where you have a bond and then a break and a bond and a break, however many times that may happen, over time little pieces of yourself kind of disappear. They get given away, and they end up attached to other people, and it can create a, a painful mess emotionally, spiritually, this, this very bond that God created for good things and good purposes um, can be destroyed and ruined really quickly. Yeah, and we talk about you know, a lot of times the baggage, the sexual baggage you have when you have a lot of partners. And in an analogous kind of way, exactly the, ba- the baggage could be explained by understanding exactly what we're talking about. Like, like Matt said, it's almost as if the bandage ripped off and part of your skin goes with it. And so part of you, it, it goes with the other person. But also, part of that other person uh, is kind of stuck on you now. The separation can never be perfectly clean. It's like yeah. you're taking some of them and they're taking some of you. And you can't ever really forget the experience. If you've had multiple sexual partners, you know that's true. You just don't forget it. It's it's. Im- It's embedded and burned in your mind, and you don't forget the images, you don't forget the emotions, you don't forget the thoughts. It's like it's permanently there because the deep-seated truth in Scripture is just foundationally true whether you want to accept it or not. Your soul was fused. Your body was fused. Two became one flesh. Yes, so we think that the Bible raises the perspective of Scripture to a much higher level than what we commonly talk about or what I think sometimes we just assume. Um, Sex is not simply just a physical interaction between a man and a woman. It's a spiritual bonding of two bodies and ultimately of two souls. And I think if we have that perspective, sex becomes this beautiful, as you said, kind of mysterious thing that happens when we share our bodies with another person. And in that process, whether we want it to happen or not, hopefully we do in the, in the confines of a healthy marriage when the time is accurate, we get glued to that other person in a way that it helps bind us together with the person that we've shared that intimate experience with. Right, in a permanent sort of fashion. And, th- and this is why there are boundaries in God's word for sexual expression. They're for our benefit. They're really not for our limitation. Yeah. God, like Ben has been saying, Pastor Ben's been saying all throughout this message series, isn't a killjoy. He doesn't want to rob you of the joys of sex and dating and relationships and marriage. And that's not why he gave you the rules. He gave you the rules because he doesn't want you to experience the pain of your soul being ripped apart. He doesn't want that for you. He, he gave us the desire, and yet he gave us a pathway by which the desire could be experienced and expressed forever, and there's no pain associated with it. Any sex outside of the union of a man and a woman for life has the potential for damaging our souls. I mean... It really isn't just sex. There is no such thing as just casual sex. It's always, by default, much more. Whether you intend for it to be or not, it goes deeper all the way into your soul. 
And yeah. if, if you adopt this understanding, and, and, and this is the starting point for how you understand sex and what it is and what it isn't, there are ramifications for everything, whether you, whether you should have premarital sex or not, whether you should engage in that affair or not. It has, it has consequences for everything sexual from that point on. It, it should give clarity and definition of what you do and don't want to engage in. Yeah, so we assume everybody here uh, is kind of sitting in one of two camps. Um, either you, you've maintained some sexual purity to this point, and if you have, we hope that this brings some clarity around why God's Word says that the purity that you've maintained is, is so important. So it's really not just a list of do's and don'ts. God's view of sexual intimacy is so much higher than that. And if, if you've abstained to this point, um, we're proud of you, and you've done exactly what the Bible has said to do, and you should continue to do that until you're in the confines of a healthy marriage. But I also know that many of us sit here today um, with the common feeling of, I've screwed this up. I've blown it. Um, obviously, I understand that I should stop engaging in sexual activity now. Um, but beyond that, how do I recover from this? So um, I want to just take a few minutes to talk through that a little bit. Um, if you're listening to us, you've probably had some feelings that you can relate to of knowing that in some way, you're fused to somebody else, and a piece of you is missing, and you have baggage now that you're carrying from somebody else, whether you want to or ever wanted to or thought you would or not. Um, that Band-Aid analogy is so accurate, and a little bit of you is missing. A little bit of you is gone in a way that you're never going to fully recover. But we want to make sure that you understand that God is bigger than that. He can heal wounds. He, he brings restoration. And we think that over time, that if you engage this principle in a way that you have a healthy perspective of sex, that God can bring peace in the midst of what may be chaos for you now. So, Yeah, I mean, God is the great physician. He can heal souls. That's what he's in the business of doing. So it's not like this is something that can't be fixed. And yet at the same time, you can't fix it and then keep pulling the rubber band off or the, the, the Band-Aid off yeah. of it. You've got to fix it and then stop damaging yourself. Yeah, so that... It may scar over, and like scars do, they still remain in a way that you know that they're there, and yet they, they're no longer painful, and they can heal in a way that they can fully kind of go away and get past that. So Romans 13, uh, verse 14 says it this way. Paul says, Clothe yourself in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So there's a couple principles here I'd love for you to think through. If, if you find yourself wondering, what do I do now because I've messed up this principle from God? The first thing is, is that you just need to repent. That's a kind of a godly, kind of big Bible word for saying you need to stop what you're doing, acknowledge that God's ways and God's directions are different, and you need to turn towards them and stop the actions that you were doing before. So if this is where you're at, the number one thing you need to do right now is just stop. Acknowledge that you messed up, pray and ask God for some healing, and forgiveness, and begin the process of letting those wounds heal. The second thing you need to know is that you need to accept some grace. The minute that you ask God for grace, you're forgiven, and it will be much harder for you to forgive yourself than it will be for God to forgive you. But for that process to start, you need to engage grace, accept it knowing that you don't deserve it, and yet knowing that God gave it freely when he died on the cross for you. There will always be some consequences to your actions. Earthly consequences still exist. So there may be pain, there may be a lot of other physical or emotional things that may happen, and yet the reality is, when you ask God to forgive you, you're forgiven, and you need to accept that grace. And then the next thing is you need to rec recommit yourself to purity. 
understand how important sex really is on this higher level of what the Bible says about sex and commit your life to that, knowing that that ultimately is God's purpose for your life when it comes to these things. And God doesn't tell you that because he wants to take away your pleasure. He tells you that because he knows that the best sex you will ever have in your life is engaged in the confines of a healthy marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime, and he wants you to experience that. Yeah. So, you know, if you're wondering what a good theology of sex is or you want to have a conversation with someone, a kid or a spouse or someone that you're engaged in sexual activity with that you, that you don't want to be after today, here are the two things to walk away knowing. Sex is good. You should want it. And it's a desire that God gave you. There's nothing wrong with that. But secondly, sex is permanent. It creates a permanent bond. And it's a big, big deal. Yeah. So if you would, grab your Connect card. Let's take a couple bold steps together today as we wrap up. Next bold step A is the same every week here at Four Corners. It's a really big deal to us. It's simply this. I'm accepting Jesus as my Lord and Savior for the first time. Maybe you have never come to Jesus in a way that you've said, I've screwed up, I've messed up, and I just want you to forgive me. I want you to become the leader of my life. If you are experiencing that today and you'd like to take that step for the first time, we'd love for you to mark that box. We'll send you some more information tomorrow with some practical ways you can begin to walk in a relationship with Jesus. Next step B is I want to be baptized. If you've accepted Jesus, this is one of the next practical steps for you to do in a way that you can go public in front of everybody here and say, I'm with Jesus and I want everybody to know it. Leave some things in the water that need to be left there. Come up anew and move forward in your relationship. So if that's what you need to do, we'd love for you to mark that box. Next step C is this. I will memorize 1 Corinthians 6.18 as a constant reminder that sex is a big deal. One of the great things about the Bible is that as you hide it in your heart, the truth of God's word becomes relevant and practical to you when you need it most. So hide 1 Corinthians 6.18 in your heart. Tuck it away and remind yourself of how important this is. Yeah, this is the verse I want my kids to memorize. This is the one that talks about how all the other sins are sins outside of your body. But sexual sin is much different. It's a big deal. I want them to hide that in their heart so as they have opportunities to make choices when I'm not there to make it for them, this is what they remember. Yeah. Next bold step D. Uh, from this day forward, I'll wait until I'm married. Make a decision now whether this is a recommitment or a reminder of a commitment that you've already made that from this day forward, you're going to honor God's principles around sex and the permanency of it in a way that you move forward and say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to wait until I'm married. And the next step, E, um, covers a lot of things in this range. Um, Simply this, today I'm asking for God to heal me. Where there's wounds, where there's been mistakes, where there's sin, where there's pain, God can come in the midst of that and bring healing. And if you need healing around these things, we'd love for you to mark that. We'll send you some more reminders around these things in the coming days, help you through some of these things and begin to apply these next bold steps to your life. Yeah. Hey, we're going to celebrate communion together. It really is no better day to celebrate the healing power of God than than today. So we're going to celebrate it, just like the Bible tells us to. We're going to remember that Christ was crucified and died for our sins and his blood covered all the bad things that we've ever done. We've just got to accept that grace. And then as power, as proof that he had the power over those sins and even power over death, which is the ultimate result of sin, 
he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave three days later. And we're going to remember that together as a congregation. Today, though, if you're struggling with what you heard or if you know that you want some healing to happen, let this be the moment that that begins for you. As you take the body of Christ and dip it into the wine, which is in the larger glass, or the grape juice, which is the smaller glass, let the healing process begin. And know that it, just as true as it is that sex is permanent in the scripture, it's just it's, it's also true that God forgives sins and that he heals and that he takes care of things. And he really does cast your sins as far away from him as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. That's how much he loves you. He's not going to remember it. You might, he won't. So let this be the moment in which you just give it all to him and be done with it. And the rest of us, let's just celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ as we do that. Now, if you happen to be seated in the middle sections, when you stand up in just a moment, you'll stand up and come down to the middle stations where you can receive the elements. If you're on the wings, you'll stand up and exit to the walls and come forward that way. That's how you receive them. And then you'll walk back to your seat as we sing together. So with that said, let's pray together. God, we love you. And uh, we're amazed at how much you love us. God, and I'm always amazed when I dig down into your word and how much truth there is there. God, this subject is, is just a big deal. And we just accept that at face value. Sex is a big deal. Yet we're grateful for the gift of it and the pleasure it brings. And that you're a God that loves us so much on that level that you want us to find pleasure in that. So we thank you, God, but we're also mindful of the weightiness of it. And I ask you to keep that in front of us. Those of us who need to be reminded of this truth from your word, that we we just simply don't forget it. But I also, God, pray for those of us who need healing. We want a fresh start or a second chance or a third chance or a fifth chance. That you give us fortitude to actually accept your grace and to know what your word says is true, that you really do forgive us and you really are the God of second chances and third chances and tenth chances and hundredth chances. God, give us the fortitude to accept it and also the boldness to live out the truth in your word. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.